Call the meeting to order. Okay, welcome to the Queen Anne's County Commissioner's meeting. This is a public meeting that is being aired live on our local te cable television station, QAC-TV7. These media broadcasts provide county citizens an opportunity to watch and review our scheduled public meetings. In addition to our live audience this evening, we are providing remote options for citizens to watch and participate in county commissioner meetings. Citizens may watch our meeting live on our Queen Anne's County website at www.qac.org live or on our television channel, Atlantic Broadband Channel 7 and High Definition Channel 507. Citizens may also participate by joining the live Zoom meeting by going to www.qac.org slash public comment. And citizens may also email comments to public comment at qac.org. Comments received will be read during the press and public comment period on this evening's agenda. We acknowledge your participation and by attending you acknowledge that this session is both recorded and aired. Press and public com comment will be taken and is limited to three minutes per person. If you care to speak, please sign the sheet on the information table outside in our lobby. Comments longer than three minutes can be submitted in writing for the commissioner's review. So we will now stand and be led in the Pledge of Allegiance by President, Commission President Chris Corcorino. I pledge allegiance to the flag for the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. If you could remain standing, a uh, moment of silence for the Baltimore City firefighters who answered their last call and for their families both at, both at home and at their station. Thank you. Okay, we just... Uh, <coughs> Completed a uh, closed session under general provisions article sections 3305B1 to discuss boards and commissions and personnel and under sections 3305B7 to, to consult with council and uh, no decisions were made in our closed session. So that brings us to the uh, this evening's agenda. The agenda for today's meeting January 25th and the regular and closed session minutes from the January 11th meeting were distributed uh, for review. Do we have any additions and or corrections? A motion to add uh, action items 10 through 13 to the agenda for the night. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Motion carries. Motion to approve the agenda as amended and accept the minutes as uh, uh, distributed. Second. Got a motion to approve as accepted. All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Motion carries. All right, thank you, commissioners. That brings us to our first uh, public comment period. So thank you for taking the time to express your views to the county commissioners. Comments are limited to three minutes per person. Comments longer than three minutes can be submitted in writing. This commission respects your desire and right to convey your message freely. When you come forward, please speak clearly at the standing microphone. State your name, address, and topic of interest. And in keeping with the dignity of our office, we ask that all views be expressed in a respectful and civil manner. I'm just going to so give a second to move the microphone over. Microphone, please. Okay. okay. Troy Alexander. Good evening, Commissioners. 
My name is Troy Alexander. I live at 2513 Millington Road, Millington, Maryland, in Queen Anne's County. I want to thank the commissioners for introducing Ordinance 2109. Ordinance 2109 is common sense, and it simply ensures that commercial gun ranges aren't placed near where people live. 2109 doesn't have anything to do with hunting rights. It doesn't take away from the right to target shoot with your kids in your backyard. I'm fully supportive of the Second Amendment rights. I own guns and I like to shoot. But I think we can all agree that no one would want a seven day a week commercial shooting range in their neighborhood. And that's all Ordinance 2109 seeks to fix. There's a proposal near me to take a limited use trap shooting range that was approved in 1990s and turn it into a seven day a week operation with rifle and pistol fire. This past weekend, I met with nearly 40 of my neighbors. The number of people who oppose this commercial shooting range is much larger than that. And we're all opposed to a seven day a week gunfire near our houses. If you were in our shoes, you would likely feel the same way. <clears throat> we're the ones who will be directly affected. And that's not fair, especially since our houses were there first. Maybe Ordinance 2109 isn't perfectly written, but I'm entitled to peace and quiet as much as anyone else. And a commercial gun range near a residential area is simply <coughs> bad policy that needs to be fixed. <coughs> Ordinance 2109 needs to be amended, so be it. But keep the intent behind it in its place. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, Glenn Pyle. Good evening, gentlemen. My name is Glenn Pyle, and I live at 124 Little Glanding Road. I've lived there for 45 years. Uh, I was there before all of this, the gun ranges and the proposals for everything else. It was nothing but farmland there. Now I've lived there 45 years. I got grandchildren, and I oppose this shooting range and hope you pass Ordinance 2109 so we can have peace and quiet like we've had for 45 years. Thank you for your time. Okay. <clears throat> Alan Boyles. Good evening, commissioners. Uh, I own the farm that joins this farm right across the road from it. And uh, we've been there for almost 100 years, the family has and everything else. My daughter has a daycare center right down the street. So, I mean, we just opposed all the noise and the possible gun, you know, you got bullets that can, accidentally get fired in directions that you don't want them. And we're on Unicorn Lake. I mean, that's been protected for years. So I just, I'm for 2109, but the amendments in it, it's got a few things wrong with it that needs to be done, but I think it can be fixed and everything can be good, but that's all I got to say. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Scott Kimmon. Good evening, good evening commissioners. Um, sorry, I'm going to read from my phone because I didn't have time to all make right. some notes earlier. Um, my name is Scott Kinneman, and I reside at 310 Hackett Corner Road. I'd like to thank you all for introducing 21-09. I live down the range of the proposed gun club, literally down the range. Um, I've got two young kids and livestock on my farm. Um, I'm concerned about the noise and the potential of a stray bullet leaving the rifle range. The amount of gunfire next to the public lake, Unicorn Lake, also concerns me as people kayak, fish, and hike and have for many, many years. 
um, which is an enjoyable recreational area that's owned by the state of Maryland. Um, also, the amount of waterfowl that uses the lake that I believe every hunter in the area appreciates the, the, the nesting area that it gives the waterfowl. And I believe that they would leave that area if they had gunfire constantly near them uh, seven days a week. I also believe that there's a lot of false information that has come from the Ordinance 2109. And not all of it's false. Some of it's true about the wording of the regulated shooting areas. Um, that's going to affect a lot more things that have been going on in the county with the upland hunting. Uh, also the regulated uh, duck hunting that I don't believe that's the key point behind the ordinance. The key point behind the ordinance is the commercial gun range, ranges next to residential areas. Um, I'm also a Second Amendment supporter. I own guns myself. I like to target practice. I hunt myself and I like to enjoy the natural resources that are offered here on the Eastern Shore in our county. Um, so, but, so I do see the concerns um, that has arisen due to the ordinance that it included regulated shooting areas. Uh, a lot of people were concerned if they could still target practice on their own home, at their own residence, within safety reasons. We all know how many yards we're supposed to be away from a residence, but the ordinance introduces something that it's called a lot of people's attention that they may not be able to do that anymore. So I believe with some amendments to the ordinance that it is and can be something that we can all work towards in the future. And I appreciate you all's time. Okay, thank, thank you. you. <clears throat> Lisa Schrader. Hi, I'm Lisa Schrader. I, with my husband, own and operate Schrader's Outdoors. A tradition in Queen Anne's County is in jeopardy. As you know, the Planning Commission has been presented with the Queen Anne's County Commissioner-sponsored text amendment to have the definition of a shooting club changed in Queen Anne's County. The current definition of a shooting club is a commercial or private establishment that provides trap shooting, target practice, skeet shooting, sporting clays, regulated shooting area as defined and is permitted by DNR and similar shooting related activities. Per the new ordinance number 21-09, the sentence would be added, provided, however, it operates on land that is not adjacent to an existing or approved subdivision. The subdivision definition that can be found in the Queen Anne's County Local Regulations Chapter 18, Appendix A, any division or redivision of a tract, parcel, or lot of land into two or more parts by means of mapping, platting, conveyancing, change, or rearrangement of boundaries. Not only will the new tax amendment stop our new facility in Millington, but it will also negatively affect all shooting ranges, regulated shooting areas, and hunting as we know it in our county. The ordinance will have a negative effect not only entertainment, but the education and safety aspect of air sport, including organizational fundraising events. Here are a few examples of how the sport supports our community. We hosted over 100 campers this past summer in our youth camps. The campers learned about shooting, archery, and fishing, education, and safety. We have several civic groups that utilize our venue, such as 4-H groups, colleges, Queen Anne's County High School archery team, wounded warriors, all branches of the military, 
Ducks Unlimited, Lions Club, and local fire companies, to mention a few. We have several scout groups that use our location for camping and to earn their merit badges for shooting and archery. Schrader's Outdoors has been in business for 40 years with a great reputation. Shooting sports and hunting is an Eastern Shore tradition. We operate in four counties, Cecil, Kent, Queen Anne's, and Caroline. Not only would there be a negative impact on us, but Queen Anne's County small business as well. I am adamantly opposed to Ordinance 21-09 as written. We ask for your support. Thank you. Bruce, is there anybody online? All right. Um, that's all we have signed up. Is anybody else that wanted to speak for our first press public comment? Okay, and then we'll close the press public comment. Thank you, everybody. Okay, commissioners, uh, moving on, we have um, public hearing on County Ordinance 2110, and this is for the purpose of removing the restriction on personnel board members from serving on more than more than three terms in office and the restriction on personnel board members holding other county offices. So we have County Attorney Patrick Thompson to preside over at the hearing. You ready? Go ahead. On December 14, 2021, Commissioner Moran introduced County Ordinance 21-10, a bill entitled an act concerning the Queen Anne's County Personnel Board for the purpose of removing the restriction on personnel board members serving more than three terms in office and the restriction on personnel board members holding county offices and generally revising and updating the provision of the Queen Anne's County Code on personnel board members by amending section 27.112E of the Code of Public Local Laws of Queen Anne's County. This hearing is being held Tuesday, January 25th, 2022 at 5.35 p.m. in the County Commissioner Meeting Room, Liberty Building, 107 North Liberty Street, Central Maryland. Copies of the proposed ordinance have been available at the County Commissioner's Office during normal business hours and on the County website. Speakers will be limited to three minutes each. Written testimony of any length can be submitted on before the hearing date to the County Commissioners. All hearing sites are accessible to individuals with disabilities, sign language interpreters, and assistive listening systems are available. Well, no one signed up. No one signed up. Is there anyone who has any public comment with respect to county proposed county ordinance 2110? All right. Close the hearing on that. You guys want to vote on that now or you want to leave it open for two weeks? I mean, no one's opposed to it. Might as well just. We got no emails on that, right? Mm -mm. No, no comments whatsoever. Like a motion to approve twenty one ten. I'll second it. Okay. Got a motion second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? All right. Motion carries. Five in favor. Okay. Thank you, commissioners. All right. Next, we have ordinance county hearing on county ordinance twenty one eleven, and this is for the purpose of establishing a community cat program in Queen Anne's County. Mr. Thompson. Thank you. On December 14, 2021, Commissioner Corcherino introduced County Ordinance 2111, a bill entitled an act concerning community cats in Queen Anne's County for the purpose of, establishment of, of establishing a community cat program in Queen Anne's County, adopting a trap new to return policy for community cats 
defining certain terms, exempting community cats from provisions on stray and unwanted animals, animal registration, animals at large, public nuisance animals, and abandonment, provided for impounding, redemption, and seizure of community cats, provided for trap new to return of community cats, and generally dealing with and addressing community cats in Queen Anne's County by amending section 91, 911, 912, 917, 919, 921, and 923 of chapter 9 of the Code of Public Local Laws of Queen Anne's County, and adding section 929 to chapter 9 of the Code of Public Local Laws. This hearing is being held Tuesday, January 25th, 2022, at 5.40 p.m. in the County Commissioner's Meeting Room, Liberty Building, 107 North Liberty Street, Central Maryland. Copies of the ordinance have been available to the County Commissioner's Office during normal business hours and online at the County website. Speakers will be limited to three minutes each. Written te testimony of any length can be submitted on before the hearing date to the County Commissioners. All hearing sites are accessible to individuals with disabilities. Sign language interpreters and assistive listening systems are available. For the record, the proceeding will be a certificate of publication indicating the notice of tonight's hearing was published in the Bay Times and Record Observer on two successive weeks prior to tonight's hearing, and several comments, written comments, that have been received by the county commissioners. Yes. Jay Falstead. Good evening, Commissioners. Jay Falstead. I'm not speaking on behalf of QACA on this one, uh, just speaking on, uh, on behalf of myself, but as a conservationist. I just urge the county to proceed with caution on this one. And the reason being is the subject of feral cats being released back into the environment really does cause a major problem with wildlife. Um, there is a number of case studies that have been done by numerous organizations that show that feral cats that are released back into the environment kill a wide variety of wild and native species. And they can decimate uh, a small ecosystem when that happens. And cats are indiscriminate in their killing. Uh, they kill mice, birds, a lot of the wild creatures that all rely on one another for a good, healthy ecosystem. Uh, I'm not saying that you shouldn't proceed with this, but I hope that you will take the time to um, accept additional information on it, which I'll be happy to provide, and with the hopes that this may not be the right approach to take um, from a wildlife standpoint. So with that, thank you for the time. Thank you. Okay, that's the other person who signed up. Are there any other remote? Good evening, commissioners. I'm here to discuss ordinance 21-11. Ramon, if you would name it. Sure, uh, Ramon Villatoro. I reside in um, 4990 Arlington, Virginia, but I am the chief of animal services at Queen Anne's County Animal Services. Um, so the current practices for how animal services in Queen Anne's County um, handle community cats are ineffective and costly. The ongoing efforts with community cats are exhausting several county resources through the Animal Services Department. In 2021, Animal Services took in 207 feral cats, which made up 27% of all cat intakes. 
Animal services spend on average $592 per feral cat. The feral cats also took up much of the limited space at the animal services facility, um, which provided challenges in maintaining the sanitation standards during the peak intake season. Uh, the proposed bill aims at reducing costs while implementing a proven and effective way at reducing the overpopulation of community cats in Queen Anne's County. The proposed bill will also establish the ordinances that support trap, neuter, and return practices and promote humane population control through spay and neuter. The proposed ordinances will also highlight the necessary changes for ensuring uh, TNR program achieves these goals. Thank you. Are there any other public comments with respect to County Ordinance 2111? Go ahead. State your name. Hi, I'm Jessica Tarr. Um, I work at Queen Anne's County Animal Services, um, and I'm in support of this. Um, a lot of the feral cats suffer um, because they're not used to being confined in small spaces, and they become distressed. Um, there's also research many other states, like Texas, for example, have gone through with a TNR program um, and with this the cats that are out in the community are vaccinated and they're not spreading diseases. Um, they are rodent control um, and this way um, you know they're not passing away at the shelter um, when they don't need to be because they are wildlife. They're just like a fox or a rabbit um, and you know it's dangerous for staff at the shelter, too, to have to handle wild animals every day. Um, so I am in support of this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Any other public comment? So can I, Jake, you, Jay, could you come back up? I have a question. Go ahead. Uh, it's actually some clarification, because I'm a little confused. So, so this ordinance would trap, neuter, and release cats back into our community where they already live anyway, hunting mice and whatever. So your position is opposed to this because all we're doing is we're just neutering them so they can't reproduce right. and then setting them back out. If you're in opposition to this, then you don't want them neutered and you don't want them released back out. You want them left alone. No. Okay. And this is why I say you should proceed with caution because, and I realize this is a sensitive topic and I may offend some people here that are in the room, but the reality is in the matter of feral cats, they should be put down. Um, because what happens is when you get a feral cat that is wild, it is very difficult to tame them, which is why in the shelter they have difficulty handling them when they're released back into the environment and I've seen this firsthand commissioner um, I've adopted cats I, I'm a cat lover by the way I have them <laughs> but the amount of wild birds that they kill during the migration period is incredible um, songbirds that are in jeopardy already and so again I realize it's sensitive but but Euthanasia on some of these is really the only, is, is the better option. Okay, but if they're neutered and they can't reproduce, then aren't you over a period of time going to reduce the number of wild cats? Eventually, but okay. I, I'm you're just talking trying decades to... in the process. Okay. So I'm happy to get you some additional, uh, not to get into a, 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 a I, I discussion like, here, but. So I'd, I'd like to get some more information on it before yeah. we go. Ahead. I, I, 
Okay. Cornell University has done um, some exhaustive studies on this very topic. I'm happy to provide them to you, and I'll if give you, you some mind. more detail. Thank you. So I will add a personal story with this. Um, I've worked with Inga Solomon, who does, who has Saving Future Feral Cats. For those that don't know, she's been doing it in the community now for, I guess, the better part of five, six years. Um, and her process is just this. She's been doing this um, on her own donations and dime. And I guess it's been three years ago now, I had a feral cat have kittens up underneath of one of my stones in front of the house. So I contacted Inga, she came out and humanely and, and very quickly was able to get all the babies, get the mama and take them away. Um, she was able to adopt out all three of the surviving, there was four, three of the survivings were adopted out. And she asked me, do you want the uh, cat back? And I was thinking about it and I talked to the wife and I said, sure. I, I mean, because literally the cat had been roaming basically around my house and hadn't seen a mouse in forever. So it was like, you know, it's almost a good thing to have the cat there. So again, basically I've adopted a feral cat and I will tell you, they are tameable. Um, they have a little wild side to them, but they are, you know, with the proper amount of care, much like we give dogs, cats typically don't get that because they are kind of loners, honestly. I've learned a lot about it. I was never a cat person growing up, always a dog person, but I will say it works. And, and I encourage farmers and People that can have them on their farms, if they're spayed and neutered, they're, they're great, you know, uh, companion animals on farms. So that's just my personal side of it and how I see it. it, it I've seen it work, so. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Close that, hold it open for two weeks for a vote. Thank you. Well, I would like to make a remark on this. As the, uh, <clears throat> I've been in animal control and animal services as the head of it for eight years, nine years. And I completely support Commissioner Dumanoff's point. Removing them, <clears throat> we're not about to exterminate all the cats we catch. And if you don't spay and neuter them, you're going to wind up with a much worse problem. And I will say in the dog business, we started by doing spay and neuter about 20 years, 15 years ago. And at first it made no difference at all, but cumulatively over time, we went from intaking about close to 30 dogs a week down to about one or two where we is that about right Roman about one or two a week that it took a while but it is the right solution and I utterly support what you say all right all right thank you all right closing that hearing closing the hearing and keep it open for two weeks for a vote okay Okay, and our um, third and final hearing, public hearing this evening is a uh, public hearing on County Ordinance 22-01. This is Public Facilities Bond Authorization of 2022. And we have our bond counsel here, Mark Damon, and um, our Director of Budget and Finance, Nicole Heffer. You want to come on up? Yep. Good evening, Commissioners. Uh, Damian, Mark, Kenan Shelton, and your bond counsel. Appreciate your trust in our mm -hmm. firm over the years. Um, Ordinance 2201 was introduced on January 11th, and we're conducting the public hearing on that ordinance tonight. Um, the notice of public hearing was um, posted in the Bay Times Record Observer on January 14th and January 21st. Um, with respect to this public hearing concerning um, Ordinance 2201, this is an ordinance, um, it's a public local law to authorize and empower Queen Anne's County, Maryland to borrow not more than $7,800,000 
for the public purpose of financing or refinancing certain public facilities and to evidence such borrowing by the issuance and sale uh, upon its full faith and credit of one or more series of its general obligation bonds. Um, the ordinance also empowers and directs the county to adopt a resolution in accordance with section 19504D of the local government article of the annotated code of Maryland prior to issuing the bonds. Uh, the ordinance further empowers and directs the county to levy ad valorem taxes and rate amounts sufficient to provide funds for the payment of the maturing principal of an interest on the bonds and pledging the county's full faith and credit and unlimiting taxing power to the payment of such bonds. Um, persons were offered the opportunity to provide written testimony on the proposed ordinance and tonight we will also offer uh, folks the opportunity to uh, give their testimony. These hearing sites are accessible to individuals with disabilities. Sign language interpreters and assisted living systems will be available for individuals with disabilities. Um, people were uh, asked to uh, reach out um, in advance if they needed such assistance. Um, unless there was anything further no, you want to put in the record line. Okay. All right. So I guess, um, does anyone have any comments they'd like to uh, raise with respect to Ordinance 2201? No, they were just here for the cats. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we'll close the hearing. No, hard, no hard feeling, Council. Okay, yeah. <laughs> close the hearing then. The hearing is closed. Leave the record up for two more weeks for bond. All right. All right. All right, thank you both. Thank you. Have a good evening. Commissioners, that moves us into the uh, presentations portion of this evening's agenda. And first up, we have um, character counts. Character counts, proclamation, fairness, and Kelly Huber and her team's coming in. All right, Kelly. All right. Yes, with us today. All right. Well, good evening, everyone. And thank you for allowing us to be here tonight. Most of all, thank you for your continued support. I wanted to kind of keep you guys in the loop as you know we kind of go through and cycle through the pandemic and the ups and downs and what's going on. Um, character counts and our coaches were super excited. In November, we got to go back into the schools. Um, we went from zero to 71 coaches in two months. So um, that, was, that was the announcement that you made here at the commissioner's meeting. Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, in two months, we got the Queen Anne's County High School students um, trained. We got Ken Island County High School students trained. The Ken Island were able to even start, um, which was really cool. Um, you know, we found out that during this time that they were off, there were a lot of different, they came back not knowing how to interact with other kids. So students had issues with, you know, maybe their behavior wasn't the best. Maybe they weren't the kindest, and the bullying kind of, I think, was on the increase. So it was great for our coaches to be back. The students were happy, the coaches were happy, the teachers were happy, and the principals were happy. So, you know, it, it was cool. But unfortunately, COVID has come back and um, has kind of put us on a little lull. Um, I talked to Dr. Salins, and we're hoping to be back in the classrooms um, mid, probably mid-February. So in the meantime, we've got coaches that are doing um, virtual again. And, and so that's where we are. But, you know, it's really exciting, um, you know, and we'll be back. It's, we just have to be patient. It's this up and down cycle of, you know, COVID and it just needs to go away. <laughs> so anyway, um, since January is National Mentoring Month, 
I have get two guests with me. Um, they wrote the Character Counts Proclamation for Fairness that will be read tonight. Doncella Wilson, right here, and um, Yolanda Acree um, from Maneri's Dream Alliance. Um, you are the executive director, Correct. and you are the community mentoring program. program. Okay, there we go. So I wanted to have them share maybe a little bit about what they do. Yes, so the community mentoring program has existed in Queen Anne's County for over a decade. It was managed by the Queen Anne's County Local Management Board, but in 2021, Minaries Dream Alliance um, accepted the call to administer the program. Um, so we serve youth, uh, at-risk youth in the grades 7 through 12, and also disconnected youth who are ages 16 to 24 who are not in school and not working. So we work to connect them with mentors, hoping to either strengthen um, any issues they may be having in school or reconnect them with school or a job or some type of opportunity um, to reestablish their connections. Um, and to, in addition to mentoring, we also provide them with educational workshops, um, mental health awareness, and um, cultural and recreational field trips. And we are just about to start meeting again this week. Exciting. Um, the program had to take a little break, but we're um, glad to be up and running again, especially during National Mentoring Month. And we are currently meeting at the Ken Art Center, uh, uh, Little Kidwell Avenue. How are, the, how are the numbers of mentors? Um, well, we have two mentors that are starting out with us and five students who are registered. Um, we do have some other mentors, but we match by gender, so we don't have um, students for, we don't have female students to match with our female mentors that are registered currently. But the need seems to be overwhelming for male um, youth and male mentors. So um, we do have some partnerships in the works with a local fraternity to provide male mentors for our youth. It was a guy thing. <laughs> <laughs> we need a little more guidance. <laughs> And the only thing I'll add is just again to thank you all um, for having us this evening. Um, as Kelly said, I am the program, I am, let me back up, the executive director of Maneri's Dream Alliance. So our funding for this program comes from the, from the Queen, I remember which county I'm in, <laughs> comes from the Queen Anne's County Local Management Board. So Mike Clark and his team, that they are the funder for this program. So again, we are just excited to be in the county and working with the partners here. We did bring you information of the program. So you will be able, I don't know if you want to take it. Yeah, you can yeah, handle it. He'll pass it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So that way you can, um, on there, there's a QR code where you can go in and it'll take you to our website, our referral forms, and other information about our programs. Excellent. And Dontella is also a Queen Anne's County High School alumnus, but I am. unfortunately, <laughs> class of 93, not two. Uh, yes, I am. <laughs> Queen Anne's County Centerville native at that. Centerville native. Well, I got the proclamation. proclamation. Yes, I do. Yep, let me get that. Uh, proclamation 2202, whereas Queen Anne's County was declared a character counts community and whereas all community members have been called upon to embrace the six pillars of character and incorporate these traits of good character into their daily lives. And whereas the character counts pillar of the month for January is fairness. Whereas fairness is a value all members seek to uphold for the betterment of the community. And fairness characterized by openness, equity, justice, accountability, integrity, and responsibility whereas members listen to one another and take into consideration the needs and desires of the community, ensuring that all have equitable access to available and necessary resources, and whereas community members also share their knowledge, talents, and time for the benefit of the community. 
Whereas all members strive to act with integrity as individuals, partners, and organizations, we hold ourselves and each other accountable in the face of missteps and righting our wrongdoings. And whereas community members work together to heal the wounds of the past as they impact the condition of our community's present and future, whereas it is the responsibility of experienced community members to teach fairness in all character count pillars to the youth, guiding them and modeling these values, fostering the spirit of mentorship and community care in future generations. Now, therefore, we, the Queen Anne's County Commissioners, do hereby designate the character counts pillar for, the Jan for January to be fairness. Very well, you. Very well written. Very nice. Yeah. And that is yours. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank All right. You. Thank, Thank you very you, much. As always. <clears throat> okay, Commissioners, our next presenter is Dr. Michael Pallone. You got it. Got it? All right. Uh, he's here to present an overview on juvenile diabetes for us this evening. So. Well, Dr. thank Pallone. you for inviting me. Yes, indeed. Thank you for coming. I am much more a fan, as most of you have been schooled your whole life, instead of me talking to you, is trying to get a feedback of what you understand about it. Diabetes has been around for, documented in the literature for actually over 500 years. So juvenile diabetes, although much less prevalent in, this, in, the, in the population in the U.S., there's about 36 million diabetics. Juvenile diabetes accounts for maybe 200,000 for type 1. Type 2 diabetes in kids is on the rise, but it's still below those numbers. But classic juvenile diabetes can present typically in older kids, 5 and up. Um, and juvenile diabetes is classified from age 5 to 20. So you look at this population of children, and they present often with increased thirst, they're up all night going to the bathroom, and they lose weight, they get skinny, they dehydrate. I have seen a teenage diabetic present losing 45 pounds of weight in a month, and he looked skin sagging, emaciated. And it's because their cells have literally dried out. It's not that they don't have blood in their bloodstream, they have blood, but their cells physically have shrank, and you have to rehydrate those kids very slowly. So they anticipate, actually, over the next 20 years, we will triple the number of type 1 diabetics in this country. And wow. nobody understands why we become a type 1 diabetic, only that it follows a period of the body undergoing a stress. It could be a virus that you pick up. It could be a surgery. Um, in adults, it's very common to see it after, after a life-threatening surgery. For some odd reason, the body just attacks the pancreas, killing it, and you lose the ability to, to have some of your digestive enzymes and the insulin you need to, to basically metabolize all the sugar you eat. So back in the early 1900s, they would grind up pig pancreas, make an extract, and purify it and inject it, and they found that that helped treat, they called it cure the diabetes, but it didn't cure it. And it basically was unregulated insulin. Very difficult, and pig insulin, even into the 70s, was the standard of therapy. Um, my grandmother was on it, and she would have immune reactions to it, and that, but that's what was available. Technology is much better. We have custom-made insulins now. 
We have insulins that have been engineered that are trying to reduplicate what we can do for our bodies. Technology's even gotten better. I, kn I know all of you have seen the uh, commercials where they have the glucose monitors. I think over the holidays they were everywhere. Yeah. Horrible for diabetics. Guilt tripping everybody in the world not to eat sweets for Christmas. <laughs> but I let them down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a lot of people did. But that glucose monitor is life-changing. And everybody laughs, but the cell phones, they, those monitors talk to your cell phone. Now they have insulin pumps which replace the pancreas and pump insulin based on what those read. And they used to be separate. You used to have to tell the pump what to do based on a reading. Now they're actually talking to each other. They're wireless. You move them every two weeks around the body. You keep the cartridge filled with insulin. And it's like a thermostat. It regulates your own insulin. And this is where we are, we're headed. The next step is actually artificial pancreases, which are actually in development. They're, they're, they are genetically engineering pancreases that are going to be resistant to being put back in the body and having the body attack them and kill them again. And they are probably in my lifetime we'll see that. It's amazing. Um, but you have the problem now that you've got hundreds of thousands of kids with diabetes in the school system. It is a school nurse's nightmare because she has to have a, pla a plan in place to make sure that teacher recognizes when that kid is going downhill if the kid doesn't realize it. The, uh, the newest thing I saw out of Johns Hopkins was the smartwatches. They have a program that monitors the sugar and that smartwatch alarms to tell the, the, the student and the teacher that something's going wrong. Too high, too low, so the teacher knows what to do and make sure the kid is reacting appropriately. School nurse can actually access a lot of the kids' blood sugars online now. Because Johns Hopkins, their app, their smartphone downloads immediately to the nurses at Hopkins. So technology has really come hugely far. But it's still, you have this very medically fragile kid. I've had a four-year-old who was running around with a sugar of 300. We gave him a tiny dose of insulin and he crashed on us. So you can imagine, that pump is not a universal setting. Everybody needs a slightly different amount. We're, we're not to that technology. So the school nurses are dealing with all these kids with low blood sugars, what to do once you get them back. I mean, there's protocols in place. I, I, took, I, I wrote out some statistics and everything else for you here, um, including some sugar plans. But every kid takes a different amount of sugar to recover. Question for you, sir. Sure. One reads that nationally the cost of insulin is a burden for a lot of areas, people, communities. Is there anything local government ought to be doing about that in terms of juveniles? Well, if you look at the cost of insulin, the insulin now comes in pens, injectable pens with three milliliters of insulin in them. Can you take a guess how much that one pen costs at a pharmacy? I prefer not to. $800? No, 100 okay. About 110 And that's if you can find it cheap. Um, no matter what program, I mean, several of the pharmaceutical companies have programs. If you do not have insurance, you can get all the insulin you need, 15 pens a month for 100 bucks. 
100 bucks is still a lot of money to a lot of people. And if you're on a short acting and a long acting insulin, it's 200 bucks. And that is all you can find out there. Walmart carries a very bad generic insulin. And by bad, it means it doesn't always work. We've had people die from taking too much of it. We've had people in this country can't figure out how much to take and they keep giving themselves more because it's not working and then all of a sudden it kicks in. I asked a little different question. I said, and maybe you're in the way of answering it, but is there something that local government, us, ought to be doing about this? About a lot of local governments have opted to find the people in the community. They're, they're in the biggest need. They are the underinsured and work with some local pharmacies on providing some lower cost insulin available through uh, the health department in the county. And I think that is one of the biggest advantages. Um, knowing the, the pharmaceutical companies, um, I call them coupon programs, because there, there is a way to work with a lot of the major pharmaceutical companies to get insulin for your patients. Uh, the problem is that we have those patients that slip through the cracks, that have those high deductible $10,000 plans, and that um, when, the uh, when the senior citizens hit their donut hole in their Medicare, they have to spend, I forget what it is, $7,500 before their Medicare kicks in again. And if you imagine, $2,500, the first $2,500 doesn't cover a whole lot of insulin. So I have two very elderly parents, both are diabetics. They are both on insulin and have been the majority of my life. So you, I understand this is a huge problem. What I also can't understand is these insulins have never, I correct that, one insulin has gone generic recently, and that is the only insulin that's generic. All these other insulins have been around for 20 plus years but nothing has ever gone generic. And that's where you have to push to the state and the federal government to say, why can't you find, or why can't you make these companies go generic? Once there's 12, in, 12 companies making insulin, the price goes way down. And I mean, I'll give you a very bad example. Cialis, Viagra, they went generic. They went from costing $25 to $40 a pill to under a dollar, just because they had competition. So promoting competition is something we could do from the governmental level, you're thinking? Yes. And it oftentimes says that you have to tell the, tell the federal government, hey guys, why don't we have generic insulin? Because you know with everybody's insurance, they push a generic over everything else. A generic insulin that is decent quality would go a long way to treat. And I think, you know, short of spending, and I'm going to quote the, la the last thing I saw was about a half a million dollars to make a, a, art, an artificial pancreas. And then the surgery to actually implant that and then to keep it working and make sure it works. That cost is huge, but I have a figure here that you'll appreciate. Um, last year, the U.S. spent $327 billion on diabetic medications and care. 
is not so big of a number when you think about that. Right. So, because the complications from poorly controlled diabetes, which unfortunately is probably over half the di diabetics are not well controlled, means they have eye complications, peripheral neuropathy, they lose limbs, and kids can get all these complications. I've had kids lose part of a leg due to the fact that they developed uh, no blood flow to a leg. So these complications are huge. Now that the kids are growing up, and I say I don't see them after usually their late teen years. They, they automatically don't want to see a pediatrician. But they, are, they have a lot more health problems as adults than most normal kids. That's if it's uncontrolled diabetes. Even, un even controlled. Even super controlled, those kids are still a, they have more heart problems, they have more gallbladder problems, they have more liver problems, and kidney problems. Kidney probably being the number one complication. So you're looking at a large number of kids needing a kidney transplant by the time they're in their 40s. So it's, it's a huge public problem in that you have all these kids there will be a burden to the health system. And yet, we find in our job, I can prescribe anything to them. Getting them to not only use it, getting them to take it, getting the school to understand what it takes <coughs> to keep them in school. And I love, I love my parents, but some of them would rather homeschool their kids because it's easier to monitor them. But that doesn't solve the problem is what do you do after kids need to go to school? <coughs> well, thank you for coming in and sharing that information. I think it's, it's really useful for everybody to know, and especially some of the warning signs that you described, so people know if their kid may be becoming diabetic. And the school nurses can actually screen there for it. They have the ability. A lot of the school health clinics do as well. So they can actually pick up on it. The hardest part is, it's the privacy laws that don't permit them to just call us right. and say, hey, you need to see this kid. And that's, that's where I think the privacy laws have failed. Mm. So that is, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, commissioners. Uh, it's, we're just a little behind schedule, and uh, we are ready now for our uh, feature presentation this evening, the uh, introduction of the 2022 Comprehensive Plan. And we have uh, Lauren Good and Ray Morvac with Wallace and Montgomery that are here this evening, along with our staff, Director of uh, Planning and Zoning, Amy Mordock, and Stephanie Jones, our Senior Planner. So why don't you come on up? Uh, and we have, uh, if you look at tab number six, item number three, there's a, a an overview memorandum, and I believe there's a presentation that um, we have here this evening as well to go over, and this is the um, Planning Commission's recommended plan for the comp plan and the Kent Narrows Community Plan for your consideration this evening. Lauren, Ray, take it away. Thank you. Good evening. Um, we're excited to be here in front of you tonight. As mentioned, I'm Lauren Good, Project Manager with Wallace Montgomery. And I'm Ray Moravac, the uh, Vice President in Charge of Planning for Wallace Montgomery. Uh, and us coming before you tonight has uh, been a long time coming, so again, we're excited to be here. Uh, we just have a brief presentation to provide an overview of the, the process to date. Uh, 
And uh, first, just to outline the purpose of the comprehensive plan, which um, uh, I'm sure we're, we're uh, all aware of, but um, this is really the document where we capture the vision of where the county wants to be in the next 10 to 20 years and beyond. Um, and it identifies different factors that influence and shape the community and how it might get to, uh, to reach that vision. Uh, the, the plan itself uh, provides guidance for a number of different areas relating to uh, land use and physical development uh, and provides related guidance for decision making related to those items in the future. Uh, as the, the, the name implies, uh, it's a comprehensive document, uh, very broad. Uh, it covers a lot of topics, uh, but it aims to be proactive to uh, establish a plan of action uh, that the, the county can implement uh, over the, the next few years uh, to help uh, further steps to meet, meet those goals uh, and the visions that have been uh, identified. Uh, the plan itself isn't regulatory. Uh, it, it, it doesn't uh, contain detailed specificity on, on every item or every topic, uh, but uh, it really sets the framework for the county's implementation uh, over, the next, uh, over the next 10 and, and more years. Uh, so as we uh, started, and, and I think the, the last time that we were here in front of you, uh, not in a, in a joint uh, setting, was uh, back in August of 2020, so uh, uh, quite a while ago. Uh, but since that time, uh, we've, we've been very busy and have had a very robust public outreach uh, uh, experience. Uh, this slide just outlines, uh, in general, the uh, outreach uh, opportunities and events that have been held uh, from visioning workshops, special topic workshops, and meetings with the technical committee that was uh, comprised mainly of county department staff uh, to uh, regular meetings with the planning commission, including uh, joint meetings with you all, uh, uh, meetings with the, the council of governments, uh, the development uh, and facilitation of a community survey, uh, some uh, uh, more pointed uh, and shorter questions of the week, uh, a questionnaire that was devoted to the agricultural industry, numerous stakeholder interviews. Uh, so all of that resulted in hundreds of uh, contacts with, uh, with people in the community, uh, providing uh, very uh, informed uh, comments and, and questions that really helped us throughout this process. Uh, back in uh, December of uh, 2021, we wrapped up the 60-day public comment period and then took the next uh, few weeks to sift through the over 400 comments that, that we received. Uh, we worked with, uh, of course, with, with county staff to review those and provide recommendations. Uh, and we received uh, comments from the public, uh, state agencies, uh, municipalities within the county, as well as adjacent counties. Uh, and uh, we provided uh, uh, proposed recommendations that uh, at the last uh, meeting with the Planning Commission, those items were reviewed and they provided additional guidance to us uh, in conjunction with a public hearing uh, that, was, that was well attended. Um, and uh, then uh, skip ahead to uh, during this process, um, in addition to the overall comprehensive plan. We also worked on the uh, Kent Narrows community plan. 
um, and, and here uh, some of these opportunities related to outreach piggybacked on some of the countywide efforts, uh, but we did have some dedicated meetings related to uh, Kent Narrows uh, from the visioning workshops and special topic workshops uh, to uh, uh, more uh, pointed meetings with the, the Kent Narrows Development Foundation and their representatives uh, to review their, their desires for the plan itself. Um, all of this resulted in um, a, a complete document, uh, the, the comprehensive plan, um, that has a number of different uh, topics ranging from communities and facilities, land use, uh, economic development, transportation, housing, um, environmental resources, um, and uh, uh, water resources. Uh, so uh, working with uh, community stakeholders to uh, develop those uh, different topic areas. Uh, similarly, the Kentnaros Community Plan covers a lot of those same topic areas, just in a more focused uh, geographic area. Um, and we, we just have a few of those um, uh, graphics there for you. Um, uh, but as I mentioned, we, we uh, did uh, just um, have a successful meeting with the, the Planning Commission, and they recommended that these two plans be forwarded to you to start your official review of, um, of those, um, as well as to uh, uh, set a date for a, a public hearing in the future. Uh, so in your packets, uh, you should have received copies of both of those uh, both of those documents, as well as uh, information on the comments that were received as part of that uh, Planning Commission public hearing effort uh, and the, the changes that were made uh, related to that. Uh, we do have uh, copies of those draft plans that have been added to our, our project website. Um, and uh, these incorporate all of the revisions uh, recommended by the Planning Commission. Uh, hard copies will also be available if anyone wants to view those uh, documents uh, uh, in person. Uh, they'll be at the Kent Island Library, uh, the Centerville Branch Library, as well as the uh, County Commissioner's Office. Um, and um, we have also, or uh, pending your, uh, your favorable recommendation, uh, we will be reopening a comment portal on the uh, project website to collect any comments uh, uh, between uh, now and when you hold uh, your public hearing. Uh, this way we can continue to have uh, one point or one source of uh, uh, comment collection. Uh, we'll, we'll continue to do that the same way that we have been, uh, and we ask that those comments um, uh, be submitted either through this uh, this online portal, again, that is through our project website, uh, or submitted to uh, via email uh, to the email address uh, listed um, on the screen here. Uh, so that's a very, very brief summary of a, a very long process. Um, <laughs> boiled it down a lot, but um, um, I uh, welcome any uh, comments or questions that you may have. Lauren, for the public's sake, uh, could you give us a timeline, or do you know the timeline of how this is going to go move forward now? With how many days it's going to be open? How many days minimum before we have a uh, public uh, comment? And 
you know, when, when you expect us to vote on it? Sure. Uh, we have uh, proposed a date of March 22nd uh, to hold that public hearing. Okay. Uh, so the comment period would be open uh, between now and, um, and closer to that, uh, to that date or when that, that wraps up. Uh, prior to that meeting, uh, we'll be reviewing those uh, comments that are received uh, so that we can provide some informed uh, comments uh, to you all as you consider uh, those comments that, uh, that do come in. Um, and then at that point, um, after you hear the, uh, hear the, the, or hold the public hearing and, and uh, view those comments, um, it, it will um, obviously be up to you as to when, when you would like to vote uh, on, on that uh, plan. Um, but we anticipate uh, we will be uh, at your direction, either uh, making uh, some uh, revisions to those as needed to address any comments um, or uh, providing you with the information that you need to um, feel comfortable uh, with uh, the, the adoption of those two plans. So the, the next 60 days with uh, comments the public can make online, that is who our staff and you will be answering and or evaluating those, those comments? It, the Planning Commission's done. Correct. They have, they have, um, made their recommendation um, and um, uh, they put in a lot, of, a lot of work, so we're very grateful to them. But yes, um, at this point, um, we are trying to focus the comments and asking that as much as possible that they come into us so that we can uh, continue to, to catalog them as we have in the past and not because this is such a large um, undertaking not to overburden county staff with, um, with that uh, piece of it. Lauren, do we, do we have a synopsis um, by chance that uh, highlights the significant changes from the previous comp plan to this one that, that would, would pull out those ones that, you know, we could focus on in terms of maybe some growth areas, uh, different land use that has been uh, changed uh, dramatically from its previous state? That sure. Um, uh a few meetings uh, of the Planning Commission ago, we, we did uh, develop a, uh, a presentation that uh, addressed those, those uh, questions specifically. What were the major changes from the previous plan um, and what were uh, key, key topics or key areas that came out of this, this effort? Uh, so I can, um, I don't remember the exact date off the top of my head, but I can find that presentation and um, forward that to you. Great. Definitely. That would be helpful. Anybody else? Yeah. Any questions? Nope. So we need a motion here, right? To schedule the hearing? No? We already have a date. For the we already scheduled. Okay. Is it March 8th? Is, our, no. is that our next March, one? March 22nd. 22nd. But we don't, we take we're, public we're, comment up to 60 what? 60 days. To the 22nd. To the 22nd. 22nd. Okay, right. to from the tonight. Right. Oh, okay. So basically 60 days. Okay. Yeah. Any right. other action on this that we need to take? That's it. Yeah. Okay. We're good. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all the work. <clears throat> Thank you both. It's the March 8th date. So now we're, uh, we have something else on the 8th. Ahead of schedule here a little bit, so that's good. That concludes all of our presentations for this evening. Okay. So we have um, 13, I believe, action items, including our desk items. So if you want to turn to tab number three, tab three, page one, item one, 
Our first item is Proclamation 2208, and that is for Human Trafficking Prevention Month. Oh, no, you don't want me to read it. <laughs> so can I ask one of the commissioners to please read uh, 2208? You don't want me to. I'll, I'll, I'll. You got it? Yeah, I got it. What tab are we under on that presentation? Tab 3, item 1, page 1. Got it. Thank you, Jack. Sir. We, uh, we, we talked about this before the meeting. This is a, this is, this is a real tragedy. It's a shame that um, in this day and age, I got to read a proclamation that concerns something as uh, heinous as this. But here goes, Proclamation 2208. Whereas human trafficking is a serious problem on the Eastern Shore where traffickers use violence, threats, deception, and other manipulative tactics to force and coerce young and adult individuals to engage in commercial sex acts or to provide labor or services against their will. Whereas between June 2013 and May 2020, there were reports of child sex trafficking in every Eastern Shore County, and since 2017 throughout Maryland, 127 human trafficking victims have been rescued. Whereas human trafficking is the second highest criminal enterprise in the United States, grossing 9.5, I'm guessing that's billion every year, the increased use of drugs, focus on social media, changes brought by COVID-19 have increased the level of human trafficking. The Eastern Shore Human Trafficking Task Force is engaged in anti-human trafficking actions by encouraging and promoting awareness and prevention of human trafficking. Whereas January across the nation is Human Trafficking Prevention Month, which formally recognizes that human trafficking consistently occurs in the United States and emphasizes the need for the public and private sectors to come together to focus on prevention, prosecution, partnerships, and support for survivors. Now, therefore, be it resolved that the Board of County Commissioners, Queen Anne's County, Maryland, hereby recognize January as Human Trafficking Prevention Month. So if you see something, say something. Hmm. All right, thank you, Commissioners. Okay, item two on page number two is uh, the Rural Legacy Priority Area for fiscal year 2023. And, uh, Donna Smith is here this evening, and each year we designate one of our two rural legacy areas as the priority for funding. So I think this year we're going to recommend um, the uh, Foreman Branch area. I make a motion to choose the Foreman Branch rural legacy area as priority for FY23 funding. Second. Got a motion second. You want to tell us about it? Uh, we uh, submit grants every year. We've been doing it for since 1989. We've been submitting rural legacy applications, <clears throat> and except for maybe two or three years, we didn't get any funding. Uh, this past year, with no county money and no county match, we were able to secure $1,650,321, which will preserve two farms in the Land's End area. Both are waterfront farms. They total 367 acres, so that's, um, I had one just settle last week. I have two more that I'm waiting for the Attorney General's office to finalize review of the deed of easement. They'll settle probably maybe within a month or two. And then I'll, I'm working on two right now from this past year's funding, the 1.6 million, so we'll keep our fingers crossed. And they just announced the money in December, so we won't know how much we'll get on these two grants probably till very late part of 2020. 2022, sorry. I'm losing a year. <clears throat> Any questions? All right. Uh, all in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? <clears throat> Got five in favor. Motion carries.
Thank you. All right. Thank you, Commissioners. All right. Our next item is item number three on page, beginning on page number 20. And this is the uh, the annual mouth matching funds program to allocate our recommend or our allocated uh, mouth matching funds towards the mouth program. So I'll make a motion to approve the $85,108 of ag transfer tax towards the mouth matching funds program. Second. Got a motion and a second from Commissioner Wilson, who's a little bit faster than Commissioner mm -hmm. Moran on that one. Uh, any discussion? All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Five zero. Motion carries. How much? Okay, so let's get to the real business. How Go much ahead. more are you yes. looking for this year? This eighty-five thousand. Since I sent the original memo in, um, there was a small adjustment in the ag transfer tax, plus the state mouth board of trustees put in a budget amendment request to increase the initial funding, which I just found out today that we did get approved for an additional $5 million statewide. So instead of 45, almost 46 million, we're at 54 million now for statewide funding. So for our $85,108, that's the corrected amount, the match will be from the state 127,000. 662 and initially I put in my memo that it was about $880,000 we would get from the state. Now it's close to a million. So we should be about a million 200,000 if you only pledged the 85,000. Last year you did 300,000. And that came from the ag transfer tax, property personal property tax and the general fund. With that 300,000 we were able to secure $3,824,679, which is $12.75 for every dollar of county money. It's a good rate of return. When do you have to have a, do you have to tell them how much money you're putting in? February the 1st, yes. Ew. Can we bring Nicole up so we can ask that all-important question about where we're I asked the... Nicole if she wouldn't mind being here because <laughs> I knew you all were going to ask that question. <laughs> So where, so, where, so where are we on the, uh, uh, the PPT for the solar right now? Well, the solar, when I looked for Donna a few weeks ago, we hadn't received any of the FY22 funds in yet. Um, so I still didn't see those, that we've received those. Um, but that will automatically go in for the mouth funding along with the ag transfer tax and then any additional funds that we um, set aside Right, Donna? They all yes. get included? Yes. So what, what is it, do you have any, what is the number supposed to be? What if we build, I guess, what, what do they have as bills for their uh, personal property tax on the solar? Do you know? I, I don't have that information. I think it was, uh, was it about 170,000 last year? I think so. Um, but I can get that information for you. So the unfortunate part is I have to tell the state by February the 1st, which is that's statewide. So what happens with the $54 million that we have, that gets cut in half. So 27 million gets equally distributed among the 23 counties, which is like almost a million dollars because some counties don't participate. So then the remaining 27 million gets divided into certified counties, which we are, and that makes up the matching funds. So the state has to know what each county is putting forward in the matching funds program to make that all fit in that remaining 27 million. So if a county pledges 1.3 million, the state's gotta have $2 million to match that. 
So it's kind of a numbers game, and they want to start making offers at their that's March the bare meeting. Minimum. That is Th $1.3 million is the maximum that a county can match with the $1.50 in return from the state. Correct. I mean, you can put in $1,000. No, no, I'm saying, but at $1.3. That's the maximum. At the minimum, the state will give you is $2 million. Yes. And, and they could give you a lot more. That is the matching funds program, but we're still going to get our initial allocation of a million dollars. Right. So it's if you were to magically come up with this $1.3 million of matching funds, that means we'll have the $1.3 million, which would include this $85,000, we'll get our initial million dollar allocation plus additional $2 million. So you're talking about... Well, I guess what I'm, I'm asking you, that's, it, does, it could be more for their matching portion. No, they will not match any more than $2 million. That is the maximum. Hmm. I mean, I'd like to see us get to 500 if we could with the solar to, to get to a full 500 this year. Um, because if, if my hunch is right, this should be a good year that on the second go around, we should get a really big bite at the apple. That's, what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Yes. On that the, note, last year, the ones that were turned in from June of 2020 that were funded last year, we got four farms in the second round offer. So we got a total of five farms in last year um, that was well over a thousand acres, and that's where the 3.8 million came from. So then I guess that's what, I guess that's what I'm asking. Explain this second round. You okay. have the first round, and then you have a yes. second round. I guess that's where I got a little. But the counties don't yes. use the money; it goes back into the pool. That's correct. So some counties don't participate in MAF. Right. They either don't have interest. For example, Prince George's County. They very seldom have interest in mouth because the land values are so high in Prince George's County. So their initial million dollars gets sent back to the state after saying, we have no applications. Or you may have a county like Anne Arundel that only has one application and they only need a million two and they have $500,000 left over. That gets sent back to the state. So after everybody gets their initial allocation, they make their first offers. <coughs> There's counties that have money left over, whether it be a little bit or a lot or the whole amount. That gets sent back to the state and it gets put into a pot of money where that's used for second round offers. Last year we had $22 million left over. So they start looking at counties with farm owners asking considerably less than the appraised value. And that's where, and we're usually around the 50% mark in this past year's appraisal values where, I just figure this up, um, the average appraisal value was $7,500 an acre and our asking price average was $4,000 an acre. So we're rated about 46% discount of the appraised value. That's what the landowners are willing to take. In the 54%. state, the state. Yeah. judges all of those pieces of property across the state and says, yes. okay, this is the best bang for the buck. Yes. And that's how we get these. That's where they use their money. They're buying the best farms for the least amount of money. Um, Caroline, Kent, and Queen Anne's always has the lion's share of second round offers. And Carol. Just can't catch them. Carol, Carol has their own county-funded program. We yeah, don't, I know, but we I'm don't play with them. Yeah. <laughs> They're in a league all their own. So, babe, and, and just... I want you to keep this in your mind too. When we um, had our Zoom meeting today for MAUF, the state executive director said they had some really, really good news to share with us. This year's allocation was $54 million. The state ag transfer tax 
also gets money from the recordation tax on house sales. Part of that funding comes from overall house sales. Next year, we're getting $72 million statewide. So we're getting almost $20 million more for fiscal year 23. And that's going to be a very important year for us to put that match in because we could get millions, literally millions. But you still, only, they're going to cap you at how much you can put in. Yes. Right. But if we play that game along with the second round offer, mm -hmm. we could very easily get eight, nine, ten farms in. Well, I mean, you guys know how I feel. It's always been a priority of mine, so I'm, Absolutely. I'm for giving you all of it. So, you know, I don't know where you guys I'll be more than happy to draft you a new letter. Well, just, I'm just tell saying, me the I mean, number to put on there. <laughs> I'm comfortable now because of, of what we have there, and, and I know we can get to the 500K, but I'd like to see a plan to get to the one. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'd like to, love to get oh, to I the one. Point yeah, I've got an idea how we're going to get that. Just how to Unrestricted. Get there. Yes. And if you pledge that $500,000, you are getting $750,000 back from the state. So you'll get your initial million, $500,000 from the county, plus another $750,000. So you're talking about two and a quarter million dollars in the first round offers. That'll, that'll fund quite a few farms. And if we give you the 1.3, how much do we get? Oh, I'm going to be happy. <laughs> I'll probably send a letter to everybody. <laughs> Well, yeah, so to Jim's question, where does that get us? What is that leverage? How much is the leverage? So if you did um, $1.3 million of county money, you would get $2 million in state money matching funds. That would be $3.3 million, plus the initial allocation of $1 million. That would put us at $4.3 million. So $3 million of that being from the state? Yes. Right. And then the second round? Would fall where it would fall, and, and we typically are double there. I mean, right. literally, the last few years historically, we've been, we've yes, yeah, it's we've been, been twice. big on it. We're doubling what we're getting on yep. the second round. Let me take a look at my list real quick in those top few. Um, so that would get two, uh, two, four, five. The top four farms, six hundred eighty acres. So at four grand an acre, that's what two point four million. So we get to top, yeah. So we could get probably 10. So we would get? Probably 10 or 12 this year, right? Mm -hmm. I, you know I'm good with it too, Jim. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. I just like to know, yeah. I mean, I'm good for committing it if, Nicole, you can show us how to get there. We're going to really prepare something and send it to you, maybe some different options. Yeah, I'm good with that. And all I have to do is email it to the state by the first. It doesn't have to be snail mail. So as long as I have that commitment and those signatures on that letter, I mean, that gives us what? Almost a week? Yeah, first yeah, is next week. Monday. Yeah. That's Monday the 2nd. And I can send it in on Monday. That's not a problem. Okay. We go with that? I, yeah, I, I guess I, can, I'm, I don't mind making a motion that we uh, allocate $1,333,334 towards the matching funds program uh, with the caveat that you'll give us some avenues of how we're do that. I mean, because like I said, I, to me, I would just take it out of run unrestricted and call it a day. But I know you guys like doing things differently, so I'm second. all in on that. Second. All right. Motion and a second. Any further discussion on this? All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Five in favor. Motion carries. Yes. So what I'm are, happy. So what are we going to do? <laughs> you, you need to. What are you going to do when you're gone? 
She's training. I don't know who you're training, but boy, I'll tell oh, you what. I have to, I have to start thinking to about that because the person I had in mind decided that they would rather not have this type of work. So we need to do some serious thinking on who we're going to get in there. You do. That's part of your job. No, 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 no. I know. And, and don't forget about my 1% commission off this money. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate it. 1%. <laughs> we got to negotiate the commission. Yeah, we are. <laughs> That's right. It's getting a little high. All right, commissioners, moving right along. Uh, item number four on uh, page 22 through 42. We have um, the Sellersville School Study Grant Agreement and the program forms. And this is a grant agreement and signature forms for the Sellersville School Study uh, for the adaptive reuse uh, and feasibility study of the former Sellersville Middle School. I move that President Corcorino sign the grant agreement and the certification section of the authorized signature form as presented for CDBG grant number MD22-CD-5 as described and recommended by the Department of Community Services Housing Division. Second. We got a motion and second. Any discussion? All those in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Five in favor. Motion carries. All right. Thank you, commissioners. Item five on page uh, 63 is an MOU with the city of Annapolis for a passenger ferry feasibility study. And you may recall this earlier, we had an agreement with the um, Anne Arundel County and Visit Annapolis uh, for a similar grant and uh, using um, uh, ARPA money and that did not come through. Now this is with Visit Annapolis with the ED administration tourism grant. So we're gonna take another bite at this apple. So. Um, can I get a motion on that? And I believe uh, yeah, Heather Absolutely. is here. Heather Tonelli, if you have questions. We support the QAC Department of Economic Tourism Development in signing the MOU, MOU with the City of Annapolis to collaborate in the Ferry Project Feasibility Study. I also motion that we support funding a portion of the feasibility study in the amount of $16,666 should the overall EDA grant be awarded. Second. So and Heather, and you guys are going to come up and tell us about the ferry across the bay? <laughs> what, what we're applying for? <laughs> All right. So um, as you may remember, back in October, we came to you with an MOU, um, asked you to sign that with um, Visit Annapolis in Anne Arundel County to apply for the Build Back Better uh, grant for um, $250,000 to cover the feasibility study to consider a passenger ferry, not a vehicle ferry. Um, so it's a partnership with Visit Annapolis, Anne Arundel County, um, and we've gotten several other counties that are very interested, including Dorchester, um, Kent County, Somerset. Uh, we're in talks with uh, Easton as well. So there's plenty. It's, it would be a whole regional Chesapeake Bay uh, ferry project if, if it's feasible. So this amount of money that we're looking for currently would cover just the feasibility to study to determine where the ports would be, how much would it cost, can it be self-sustaining, all those things that we, we, we don't have the answers to, but that's the plan to find out. Um, so the first grant was denied by the EDA partially because it was too small. So we're going back again and we're partnering with the city of Annapolis who is going for the tourism grant in order to fund their um, rehab of their city docks. So this ferry project will be a very small piece of that total 4.3 um, Queen Anne's County 
and visit Annapolis are, are hoping for that 250 to be slid into that grant. And so that's what we're asking for is now we're signing an MOU with City Annapolis, who's the lead grant applicant. And we're kind of just down there as a supporter. Um, and if it goes through, then um, it's an 80-20 grant, so $50,000 match would be required. And so Anne Arundel County has agreed to pay 16000 and change. City of Annapolis has agreed to pay 16000 and change. And then Queen Anne's would pay that third, so we'd split it up in three. But only if it's awarded. Gee, Jim, there's a retirement job. You can be a ferry captain. Oh, North boy. to south on the bay. Yeah, it's important to know, too, this is a it's passenger ferry, yeah. it's not, not for vehicular ferries. Correct, right. passenger. It's tourism. I mean, yeah, it's, it's yeah. all tourism, right, exactly. So, so the guess, with the last ferry ran in, what, 52, I guess, when the first bridge opened? Or did they run them after that? I, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, so. Before my time. But, I mean, most of the, most of the, most of the stops are still... Honestly, they're still sitting there, really. Yeah. I mean, we not a lot's changed about them. We don't envision, because the boats are not going to be that big, um, and we're looking at hydrofoils, which has less, le less of a depth need, that uh, we'd be able to use existing ports. I mean, if you think about Chestertown and their port, you think about, again, it has to be looked at, whether it's Mattapeak or Kent Narrows or other places. It's not like we need huge depth and... Um, port terminals and those sort of things. Part of the thing we do need to work on is when somebody gets off, what are they going to do? We have to make sure that we're building small businesses there. It's <laughs> a very good point. Yeah, well, that's the part of that no, study. I, that no, 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 no. This is the beauty of the tourism. You drop them off, they're stuck there till you come back again. <laughs> you can't beat that. That's a captive audience right there, Stevie. It's the right. best tourism you could have. <laughs> So bike rentals, um, kayak rentals, those sort of things, making sure we have Ubers and places to... Just because you don't ride a bike doesn't mean other people don't. <laughs> don't be excited about It'll be all right. <laughs> that, that's, that's it. Thank you, Heather. All right, we had a motion and a second. Great little discussion. All those in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? I zero the motion carries. I did he did he eye over there? Is he still thinking? <laughs> All right, I'll oppose it. Okay. Four in favor, one against. Four to one. Just on purpose, I guess. All right, thank you, commissioners. Okay, the next several items are letters of support for various pieces of legislation that are moving through the House and the Senate. So there are some somewhat duplicative here. But item number six on page 72 is a support letter for a house bill to authorize the board of license commissioners the liquor board to exempt up to four licenses held by corporations and limited liability companies from ownership requirements which would prohibit the board from granting such an exemption in the except for the canton Arrows commercial management um, and waterfront improvement district so that is i move to execute the support letter for lr906 queen anne's county alcoholic beverages license application exceptions second got a motion a second any discussion all those in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? By zero, motion carries. And I'll do the next one. I move to execute okay. the support letter for LR2236, Queen Anne's County Alcoholic Beverages License Applications Exceptions. Second. And a motion is second. Any discussion? All those in favor? Let me just say one thing. that We have a Senate bill now. That is Senate Bill 340. So these will all have House bills and Senate bills. Right. We've got the Senate bill number on this one. So we'll, that'll be a modified letter for, for your signatures. All right. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Okay. Motion carries. Next one is, uh, I move to execute the support letter for LR472, Queen Anne's County Natural Resources, Sunday Hunting. Second. 
Got a motion, a second. Any discussion? All those in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Motion carries. And the, and the last one is the, about the Kent Narrows Bridge and fishing off of it. I move to execute the support letter for LR 904 Kent Narrows Bridge State Highway right-of-way fishing prohibition. Second. Got a motion and a second. Any discussion on that one? Yes, real quick. Um, so does this cover the area under the bridge that we've been trying to get cordoned off? <laughs> that has always Just, been the intent. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. That has always is, been the intent is, for both. Yeah, it's exclusive to the area under the draw bridge at Kent Narrows on those concrete okay. you know, sloping Perfect. abutments where the they fish and there's a hazard there yes but absolutely. just that area we've yeah. been asking for a while so good. yes all right but not the walkway under that right right right. no i get it yeah yeah no, just the area underneath yep. so um can we can we going back to the very first one um we've submitted the we submitted these last year right so yeah. um never got out of the drawer never got a vote so none of these even got out of committee no right okay i don't even uh, think any i don't think some of them were even heard in committee correct Right. Yeah, these are all repeats from last well, year. Well, I understand that. I'm just wondering how far each one of them individually got. Nowhere last year with COVID and everything else that was going on. I think that, you know, those were. Not a, not a priority. Right. Um, all right. So we have a motion to execute the support letter for LR 904, Kent Narrows Bridge, State Highway, right away, fishing prohibition. All those in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Okay. Motion carries. And I'm assuming number 10 is really just going to kind of yes, desk item back 10. up to number 8, right? Yes, the desk Senate item bill. 10 is Senate Bill 342 for the Sunday hunting, the Senate version. So, okay, so we probably don't need to make a motion for that. It's going to get put in the letter, correct? Or do you want to make a separate motion? Yeah, if you that could, one? that okay. way we'll sign that one to you. All right, um, move to execute, execute support letter for SB 342, Natural Resources, Sunday hunting. Second. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Motion carries. All right, thank you, commissioners. Uh, desk item number 11 is LR2178, and this is the uh, public safety buildings used for agritourism. This is a support letter for that house bill that would add Queen Anne's County to the list of counties where an existing agricultural building used for agritourism uh, can be exempted from certain building regulations. Right. Yeah. So can I get a motion on that? Move to execute the support letter for LR2178, public safety buildings used for agritourism. I'll second that. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I do have some questions. Uh, Todd, can you explain what this really is? I mean, it really sounds like it could pretty much be anything. And I, I'm wondering what the, what the purpose of it is. I mean, you're, you're basically saying if it's agritourism, you, uh, you're allowed upwards of 200 people to be in there and be exempt from building codes? Not all building codes, but certain certain portions of the building code in terms of well, for instance it's, sprinklers it's, it, it'll it'll provide some relief for certain yeah certain options that are required under the the current building code correct for so agritourism we, like uh, farm breweries mm -hmm. uh, it'll increase the number of people that can be at these facilities yeah mm. it reduces idea? the amount of people that can be there increases mm -hmm. oh it increases, increases. increases. Okay. currently yeah. it's 50 yeah. all right currently it's 50, 50. at the most yeah. yeah. decrease yeah. And this is the this basically it adds Queen Anne's County to a list of other of other counties jurisdictions that were on a, on that a, have this on a, 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 a bill that was called HB 801, 
uh, previously that Formally, had yeah. seven counties listed in it. Queen Anne's County never got in and there, which we yeah, should Yeah, this would add us, yeah, there's... Was that done last year? Yeah, it's it's created a lot of headaches for us because we don't really, unfortunately, our planning zone does not have defined stuff for these agritourism buildings, and it creates headaches when we're going to do some of these farm breweries and things that we're doing here. Um, so this will put us basically under the way the state looks at it, and I was telling Todd earlier, there's actually another Senate bill coming out this year to add a further definition to uh, what the buildings can be and that kind of stuff, so. Do the fire and public safety guys, so this is okay with them? They'll still have to look That's at last year, so I'm gonna say yes. How's that? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they'll still be looking at these applications and they're not gonna just exempt everything, but they, it does provide some additional relief for those, for these types of uses on these building, on these farm, farm buildings. All right. Well, I mean, I wonder how that affects some of the uh, businesses that are operating right now. And I hate to use the one out on Route 50, but they've built a building, and if under the existing permitting mm -hmm. process they're limited to 50 people, and we do this, they're automatically limited to 200 people. Right? It. it, it that's that's an accurate statement. Yes. Mm -hmm. So it, it really depends on the zoning but district. I, be, I, be, I believe, Jim, and, and don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure there's a, a, a minimum acreage applied to that as well. Um, the the uh, building has to reside on a minimum acreage of like 20, 25 acres or something like that. There's, hmm. It's truly got to be a farm. It's not, you're not going to do this in your backyard. And call no, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the, uh -huh. the structure. Farmettes, I got five yeah, acres. Yeah. Farm. You want to call it a, a brewery? Yeah. yeah. So you can't. I'm saying, you know, it's one thing to have 50 people at, a, at an organization having a good old time. It's another thing when it's 200. But you still have, you still have occupancy regs based on square footage. That, mm -hmm. that doesn't go away. What, what may go away is the uh, over encumbrance of having to put sprinklers that cost a half a million dollars into a place that's a barn that's been there that's being refurbished for an alternative use we have tons of these around town we call them wedding venues mm -hmm. that don't meet a lot of those code requirements that we're speaking of okay. um, so this is really just expanding it to uh, some of the new up-and-coming things we got going on between wineries breweries whatever may come down the road so okay. any more discussion do all those in favor say aye aye, aye. Any opposed? I think I'm just going to abstain until I find out more about that. Okay. Me too. Two abstain, three in favor. Yep. So it passes. Right. Passes. All right. All right, commissioners. Uh, desk item number 12 is a uh, Board of Education budget amendment request to transfer between major state categories. And this is for roughly $80,000 to provide the additional monies for the stipends that we authorize for the Board of Education teachers and, and staff there. I move to approve the Board of Education's transfer between major state categories as presented. Second. Okay. Does have any questions? We have questions for our Board of Education, Board of education here. folks, yeah. All right, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Motion carries. All right. Thank you, Beth. And our final item is desk item 13, and this is um, this is from our Board of Elections, and the state law was recently amended, so the local jurisdiction, the govern, governing body, has to approve any alternative sites for early voting. And uh, we have one early voting site, which is our headquarters at the Vincent Building, and this would be uh, your opportunity to approve for the Ken Allen Firehouse to serve as a a second early vote site for the primary and general elections this year. 
I move to approve an optional early voting site at Kent Island Fire Department. Second. Got a motion to second. I have one question. We do it at the fire department already, right? No, but not, not library. Really? library. We used to do it at the library, but the library's under construction, so we have to right. move it, yeah. Oh, uh, gotcha. Last year, last time I don't think we did. We did it just here at DeVincent, right, on the early? I thought we had it at the Yeah, it was at, it was the, at it was the fire department, too. It was at the fire department, too, last year, yeah. last time. Oh, but you didn't have to vote on That's We were talking about this earlier. You didn't have to, we didn't have to approve it last time that the right. Board of Elections well, This isn't really it. changing anything that we're no. doing. We just have to just approve what we were already doing. Secondary site. Any, Secondary any site, yeah. Auxiliary right. sites, we have to approve them now for some reason. That's new stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So your voting locations aren't going to be remain the same. We just are... Have the formal we have to bless motion them. on it. We have to bless them, right? Okay, good. That's right. All right. All in favor, say aye. 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 Any opposed? That motion carries as well. Bada bing. All right. Okay, that's all of our action items for this evening. We have uh, press and public comments. No press and public comments. Beth, do you have anything to say? <laughs> Jim, you got anything for uh, roundtable here? Roundtable? No. Yep. Stevie? Not a thing. Negative. Tech? I guess I'm going to follow. So I just did want to say that Annapolis has been rather quiet. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's election year, so maybe they don't want to step on their toes too much over there. I'm not sure, but we, in the last couple of weeks, we haven't had many bills to uh, fiddle through. So I guess that's a good sign. Maybe we'll have a quiet year over there. Yeah, that's all I got. All right. I got nothing, so I'll entertain a motion to adjourn. Make a motion to adjourn. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Okay. See ya. You have been watching the Queen Anne's County Commissioner's Meeting. Thanks for joining us tonight. This program is brought to you by QAC-TV. QAC-TV are these people right here. And these people right here would love to thank you again for your continued support. Please check us out on Facebook, YouTube, like, subscribe, notifications, all that good stuff. And we'll see you at the next Commissioner's Meeting.